Baptize us with your spirit, Lord, your cross on us be signed, that likewise in God's service we may perfect freedom find. May Jesus Christ be praised and glorified both now and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Sixteen years ago this week, Steve Jobs, wearing jeans and a long-sleeved black t-shirt, stood before a crowd in San Francisco and observed, every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. The Apple CEO was about to introduce such a product, a device he confidently proclaimed would reinvent the phone. Now, on one level, Jobs was absolutely correct. There is no question that the iPhone was a game changer. It was among the first devices to combine a telephone with a music player, which is someone, something no one knew they wanted until it was available. <laughs> the iPhone represented the confluence of numerous innovations in both design and engineering, an elegant marriage of software and hardware. But perhaps more significantly, it changed the way technology was presented to the public. When Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone, he claimed that it would change everything. In previous product launches, Jobs would announce a revolution in personal computing or a whole new way of listening to music, but the iPhone was supposed to transform the world as we know it. And we have come to expect this of every new device that comes along. We are no longer satisfied with a product that makes our lives more convenient. We need a tool that will change the way we experience the world and fix all of our problems. And from this perspective, the iPhone didn't change much at all. Human beings have always looked for the next big thing that would fix problems we didn't even know we had. But for every iPhone, there have been dozens of unsuccessful products that were supposed to change the world. Remember the Segway and Google Glass? <laughs> they were introduced with the same optimism and hype, but both have languished as technological oddities. In fact, history is replete with examples of inventions that were supposed to fix everything and ended up failing or making our lives only marginally more convenient. And in the end, our expectations of these products are shaped by a basic human assumption that there will eventually be something or someone that will finally abolish all of life's difficulties, that will finally make our lives worth living. This morning we hear of an introduction of a decidedly different sort. Isaiah's description of God's servant is notable for its lack of hype. As we saw during the season of Advent a few weeks ago, Isaiah's audience had very particular expectations of those who were anointed by God. These were oppressed people, 
who felt that they had been silenced by forces beyond their control. They were hoping for someone who would not only give them a voice, but who would also destroy those who were oppressing them. And the prophet begins his description of the one anointed by God by playing into these expectations. Here is my servant whom I uphold, the prophet writes. My chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So far this sounds like exactly what God's people were looking for. A savior who would give them a voice and fix everything that has gone wrong. But Isaiah continues. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. God's people wanted a charismatic fixer, unafraid to step on a few toes. Isaiah offers a contemplative who seems to walk on eggshells. And yet Isaiah pledges that the one anointed by God will faithfully bring forth justice, even though he would seem temperamentally ill-equipped to do so. And to underline this point, the prophet explains that he will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. God's people were looking for a Steve Jobs, <laughs> one who would assert with confidence that he would change everything. But Isaiah offers something very different indeed. Isaiah offers someone confident not in himself, not in his skills, Isaiah offers someone confident in the truth he proclaims. And it's no accident that Jesus Christ represents the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And while he certainly doesn't walk on eggshells, Jesus resists definition. He defies expectation. As the poet George MacDonald wrote, they all were looking for a king to slay their foes and lift them high. Thou camest a little baby thing that made a woman cry. Ancient and modern observers have tried to label Jesus in various ways. Radical zealot, stoic philosopher, fire and brimstone preacher. But he doesn't fit into any of these categories. Instead of behaving as one would expect a first-century Jewish radical or traveling preacher to behave, Jesus confounds the expectations of everyone around him, as we saw this morning when John the Baptist initially refuses to baptize him. Consider the near-constant frustration of his contemporary audience. Those who think he's on their side are often frustrated. His enemies frequently fail to understand why they're even opposed to him. Jesus refuses to engage in petty squabbles. He has few opinions about the political realities of the world. He has few practical suggestions, and he rarely dispenses advice. Indeed, Jesus is only marginally 
interested in fixing external problems. More than anything else, Jesus steadily and quietly revealed the truth in everything he did. And by doing so, he transcended the pain and the prejudice and the grief of the world. Today we are baptizing three young people into Christ's one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And it pains me to say this about these precious children, but their lives will be difficult. Worse still, they won't be difficult for any particular reason. Their lives will be difficult because, well, that's the way life is. There's no device or philosophy that can prevent us from experiencing the pain and grief that flesh is heir to. There is no person who can eliminate all our problems or prevent us from failing on a regular basis. Jesus makes this much clear in his ministry. He never claims that following him will make our lives substantially easier. Indeed, he tells us to take up our cross and follow him. But what Jesus does promise is that he will reveal the truth through his life and his death and his resurrection. And the thing about truth is this. It's not a product. It doesn't lend itself to marketing. Truth is a way of patterning our lives. And this is the truth embodied in the gospel, revealed to us in Jesus Christ, that through his death and resurrection and through our baptism into those Christ has marked us as his own forever. There is nothing that can take this away from us. And so when we pattern our lives after this truth revealed in Jesus Christ, we can adopt a new perspective on the world. We can turn away from grief and pain and orient ourselves to the transcendent and the eternal And ultimately, this is what worship is. This is why we do what we do as the church. Worship is how we shift our focus from that which is hyped to that which gives life. Worship is the way that we come to understand that our lives are worth living, not because of a product that has yet to be introduced, but because we have been marked as Christ's own forever.